episode 166 of the Whatnots Review Show, where every week we pick a story and we talk about it. This could be a movie, TV series, anime, comic book, audio drama, all kinds of entertainment. We watch it, read it, listen to it, and then we come back here and we talk about it. My name is Melissa Wilkinson, and I am normally joined by my intrepid co-host, Kyle Springer. Kyle's on vacation, which is why if you are watching this on YouTube, it is not our normal video feed. Kyle is the one who puts all of that together. We're taking a week off from that. But I've got a special guest co-host this week. My friend Audrey Stoles is here joining us. Hi, Melissa. I'm really excited to be here. I was very happy you were able to join us. This will be fun. So how have you been? Tell the folks a little bit about yourself, if you like. Sure, yeah. So I am a graphic designer by day and a game designer by night. Um, I write tabletop RPGs and stuff like that. Uh, also stream tabletop RPGs, but like streaming and podcasting, you know, they're like cousins, but not the same yeah <laughs> uh my husband does all of our like streaming controls and stuff so i totally feel you with the whole kyle's taking care of the youtube thing because yeah. i don't do that part at all um but yeah <laughs> i love to read and um in particular i'm i'm very into like audio dramas um as well oh, i yeah. i have like zero attention span for tv anymore <laughs> i just rewatch shows that i already know i like instead of starting new ones oh yeah and uh it's it's one of those things where it's like i enjoy watching stuff but i really don't want to watch something new unless i'm watching with people so i i understand yeah, yeah. i i really enjoy all com- forms of media i studied um, film in college, so no surprises there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited for the show this week. Yeah, and I realize I got to thank you for being the reason why I'm here in the first place. You told me about the audio drama Wolf 359 years oh, ago. I just finished re-listening is, to it. <laughs> it's one of my favorites, and like I followed that audio drama account on Twitter. And they shouted out a podcast uh, Kyle had done about (laughs) Wolf 359 years ago in an earlier incarnation of the review show that was just called The Whatnots. Uh, Kyle and his previous co-host, Paul, talked about season one of Wolf 359. And so that's how I found The Whatnots in the first place. Oh, my gosh. If you hadn't told me about Wolf 359 I wouldn't be here. I that is amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we spend a lot of time obviously talking about like the things that we're consuming media-wise and sharing mm. with each other because I think that we have a lot of similar tastes and stuff. So, I'm very that's so cool. I didn't know that I was part of your journey to be here. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you, thank you for your contribution. You're like quietly in the background uh, as like a guardian angel of every episode. Oh my god! All like yeah, 160 plus episodes of this. So many. It's it's a very prolific show, but I enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, you picked our topic for the week. Well, you gave me three pitches, mm-hmm. and I in classic whatnots form, and I selected the graphic novel Folklords from writer Matt Kent and artist Matt Smith, correct? Correct. So this graphic novel is, it's a pretty short one. Um, I actually have my physical copy here in front of me. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was released as like a six part uh, series by um, Boom Comics, I think. 
Mm. And the cover that I have is actually like, so I'm, I'm going to hold it up for you to see through video, but I'll describe it also. Um, so it's <sighs> like a very stereotypical D&D style town with all these fantasy creatures and stuff. And then this young guy in a business suit walking down the stairs, business suit and tie. So he's very clearly out of place. Um, so a funny story about how I got this novel or a graphic novel is that um, my husband and I have a tradition of every New Year's Eve, we just we exchange books and we don't really do gifts for each other. Otherwise, we spend our money on our friends and our family and like we'll decide on like a joint big purchase or whatever. So the only like surprise thing we do is these books that we pick out that we open on New Year's Eve and then we read them by the fireplace and it's very nice. And so um, we've been doing that for several years now. And my husband's not as big of a reader as I am. So this year I was like, I think I'll look for something more visual in format because he's also a film guy. Mm. And so I was looking at the graphic novels at our local um, store here in St. Louis, Subterranean Books, and this one just really jumped out at me because we are both giant D&D nerds, and uh, yeah. <laughs> it seemed like something he might enjoy, and he did. And so then I read it after him and just had a very good time with it. It's got, um, I don't want to say a simple art style, but it was... Um, I don't know the the it's like high contrast I guess is what I would say yeah you very stark clean lines I like the art in this a lot I think it's very well suited for what the story is I think so too and it got really meta at the end but this yes the, the starting premise is is like um the guy from the cover is named Ansel and I'm I'm just now realizing that I subconsciously named my newest D&D character after him. <laughs> um, but he's so he's dressed in his suit and tie and he's got like all kinds of mechanical gadgets and everybody kind of gossips about him and stuff. Um, and it's basically like there's a class of people his age who are all deciding on quests, like fantasy style quests um, to go on. And that's like the, the premise of the whole thing is he wants to go find, oh, I forgot the name of the group, but like some sort of like, over the folklords. Yes. The folklords. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am doing a hundred today. I'm just doing great so far. <laughs> Remembering things about this book, which I literally just finished rereading like half an hour ago. <laughs> so, um, but yes, he's, he wants to make his quest to go see the folklords and, um, I, he's got just like a lot of questions about like the way that things are run in his village and and the visions he keeps ha having because he's building all these like mechanical things like modern things like radios and stuff that we know of because he's having these like dreaming visions of basically like New York City right so it's mm. um yeah it's it's a really intense and interesting story to follow and it just hooked me right away so I'm I'm very curious to see what you thought of it. Yeah, I was glad you pitched this to me. We do a lot of comics here on the show. We have discussed Matt Kent before years ago, like in the first 10 episodes of the review show we ever did very early, like summer 2018. Oh my gosh. We did a graphic novel he'd written called Department H, which spells out depth. And it's about this like undersea mission and they go find like uh, weird undersea creatures. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and it's got, he might have also been the artist for that. It I don't remember anymore, but it had this beautiful, like, watercolor illustration oh. style. I've never seen another book that's looked quite like that one. It was, it was gorgeous. 
Wow, it sounds beautiful, definitely. Mm. This sounds like a pivot from that, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. I I know you're a big fantasy fan, which is kind of what I was hoping you were going to pull out. I didn't want to lead you in that direction. But that is an underrepresented genre here on the review show because it's something that Kyle's, oh, it's just not his exact flavor of things. So it hasn't come up as much as like, sci-fi and and mystery and superhero stories yeah I love it's actually it's very funny I do love fantasy um mostly because I am a slut for Lord of the Rings and have been since I was (laughs) like 10 years old so um yeah so it's influenced me very heavily but I do find myself like when I'm reading stuff I don't read as much fantasy as I used to Mm. I, but like in graphic novels and stuff, I almost always want it to be fantasy. So nice. I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but um, <laughs> my preference is like the fantasy is like the foundation of everything. But I definitely lean into like just more generalized like speculative fiction at this point. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but nice. But this one had a really nice twist on fantasy, which is part of the reason um, that I think I enjoyed it because he, you know, he's got his. He's got his fantasy quest that he's going on after his friend, like, basically steals his quest to find the folklords and um, mm. and everything. But as I said, it gets really meta at the end. Um, and and so then it's like, is this still classified as a fantasy? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, fantasy of some kind. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. But for right now, let's take a quick break. And you're going to hear the old voice of Kyle again, familiar voices back, and he's going to tell you some housekeeping details about the podcast. We put a lot of hard work into the shows that we make. And yes, we make multiple different shows here at The Whatnots, and we'd love it if you would check them all out. You can find out more information on our website at thewhatnots.com, as well as your favorite podcasting platform of choice. When you type in The Whatnots, all of our shows will pop up right there. Just don't forget to give us a nice rating and review if you like the shows. If you want to support what we do here at The Whatnots, patreon.com slash The Whatnots is the best place to do that. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. You can get all kinds of exclusive content at the $3 tier. You can also get a shout out and thank you on all of our shows at the $5 tier. You can support us on Twitch by subscribing to our channel at twitch.tv slash the whatnots. And we would love to have you all join us for our live streams and talk with us in the chat. And lastly, we have merch. If you want to grab yourself a shirt or a sweatshirt or a mug or something else, go to the whatnots.com slash store to pick up some merch today. And welcome back. We want to thank our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. So thank you, Sam. Sam's been supporting us for a long time. Her help is greatly appreciated. And to talk about what uh, other podcasts we've been doing lately here on The Review Show. Last week, we just finished our monthly series where we watch one show or read one book all the way to the end. And we talked about the third and final season of Dark the Netflix uh, original show from Germany that is a uh, a very dark time travel drama. And it was wonderful to see how that thing wrapped up. It's fascinating stuff. So we've got three episodes. If you love dark, you can find us talking about it here. And over on our other show, The Reactor Core, where we talk about brand new media, we've been doing an episode every week 
uh, reacting to the new episodes of Loki. Uh, that just had its first season finale last week. So it will lie in wait until that promised season two. And we did an episode about Black Widow. So all your Marvel news is over there. <laughs> all right. So we got that out of the way. Let's take a break for spoilers. We are going to discuss the graphic novel in full. Welcome to Spoiler Territory. All right. We're, we're in that uh, uncharted land of spoilers. <laughs> Audrey, where would you like to start? Oh, gosh. I don't know what to say. Um, the start for me, I guess, is the end, which is um, maybe a weird place to start, but it's often what I do um, when yeah. I'm on other shows discussing like movies and stuff. <laughs> uh, um, so... We mentioned that Ansel, our protagonist, is living in a village where everybody selects a quest. He's chosen to mm. find the folk lords for his quest. Um, and he meets the folk lord. So there's a spoiler. <laughs> and it is singular. Yeah. One one guy, one folk lord. Yeah. Um, it, he's like a dude in a suit smoking. It's very like 70s core kind of look. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, similar to Loki, right? Like... <laughs> Mm, I'm, I'm very in the mood yeah. for it right now. He's got, you know, he's got a gun and um, is is kind of an asshole. Um, but the whole the whole like meta ness of the story is that he was the guy, quote unquote, like writing the story, and so then writing reality in that regard. Uh, oh my goodness! Sorry, I'm looking for a particular panel that I really really loved at the end. I also want to say that the folklore is named John Ronald uh, after J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. You got to imagine. Yes. I imagine that's what they were going for, for sure. Um, <laughs> but so basically it turns into this like meta um, thing where your final shots of the of the show are like someone in um, our world, presumably, mm -hmm. um, dressed up as like a wizard um, going to do going to do a quest because she's been having visions of Ansel so it's like this reflective reality which is where it kind of gets into the like oh man sci-fi-ness is a concept and this was like I said uh it was only like a six-part run so there are no more mm. answers there is no more of this wow. there's not going to be any more of this and um and I just like the journey along the way is obviously the bread and butter of this. But in terms of answering like the initial question about the folklore and why things are the way they are, um, you know, finding finding an old like an elderly dude with a mustache and a cigarette <laughs> talking about how he's immortal because he made this reality is like not what I was expecting. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I like that twist a lot. I love the premise that there are these mystical sort of I don't know like prophecy makers or something these like sort of godlike beings out there pulling the strings in your world that are just hush you know spoken of in hushed tones after dark and this boy's like I want to go find those like I really want to see if that's real or not and he gets there and it is uh one guy just, just a normal man in a suit like he found a singular professor and he's like, yeah, I, I've been writing this whole thing. <laughs> and it makes me immortal. It's amazing. Your world feeds my world. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, it's kind of this recursive loop. And I just, I think that I actually really love the concept of like 
the Guild of Librarians is like his minion mm-hmm. army type thing. And they're these very like ominous figures in red robes. And they've got like shepherd's crooks and, and bandages across their faces and stuff. And so they're very ominous figures. And to then have it be like, well, you got past all of this. And what is beyond that? It's just a guy. <laughs> it's yeah. just a guy. <laughs> um, so that one is... Um, that was one of the like thematic things that that really struck me about this is like they spend the whole journey trying to evade the librarians and and trying to fight the librarians and stuff and you're like what could possibly be worse than this and it's just a dude with like a revolver so <laughs> <laughs> but they they do some really fun um inversion of like fairy tales along the way Mm. which is also kind of my love of fantasy is i'm a sucker for retold fairy tales and just like yes different interpretations and things and i think in particular my favorite one um in this journey was the hansel and gretel house which is very horrifying (laughs) they basically find like a like a house um you know the candy house and Hansel and Gretel are there and Gretel is like just a little girl and uh Hansel's like this ginormous kind of disfigured monster thing mm. <laughs> and uh there's just like all these torture instruments and they're they capture Ansel and uh yeah it's it's very it was grotesque it was grotesque and I was it, not expecting yeah. it and I loved it that's a good word for it is grotesque like it never gets incredibly dark and twisted and gritty like I a lot when I started reading this book I thought oh this is fairly simple but in a good way I feel like you could give this to a younger reader it's darker than that but at the end of it I'm like oh maybe like a mature 10 11 12 year old yeah like if they're ready for like the darker take on the fairy tales that isn't like completely off the edge this is a good story for that I agree and I think that um like I think of myself when I was like in middle school and I was Mm. definitely reading above my age level and I was like a a little preteen emo kid kind of thing like this would definitely have been my jam at that point in time Mm. um so because it's it's got some elements of like oh here's um a fairy tale and there's probably going to be a fairy tale ending but then it's got a lot of elements where it's like no (laughs) no that's not what's happening here but still the ending manages to come out positive right without um yeah without like conceding to all of the cliches of like a happily ever after Hmm. Yeah, I I like the ending of this a lot. You told me it was a graphic novel, so I was expecting it to be a standalone story. And then I get to that final page, and I'm like, no, that must have been wrong. This must be. Th- maybe you wrote a sequel later. And like, I was reading this on Comicsology Unlimited, where you can get it, you can borrow it for free if you've got that account. And you know, you get to the end, and then it will tell you if something comes next. No, it was like, just look at something else by Matt Kent. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I was expecting something else. But how open-ended this thing does end, I 
find that admirable. It's something you can really ponder about for a long time. It's something that I enjoy a lot because I do find that a lot of the media I'm consuming these days um, over explains like it, it assumes that the audience doesn't want to ask all those questions and um, mm. that just gets really tiring because I like it when there are questions and I like it when there's um, stuff that's yeah. up to interpretation because I think that that's part of the experience of like taking in media um, is being able to draw your own conclusions and ask your own questions and also especially in regards to like younger readers I do think that this one at the end says well what are you gonna write like what are you gonna create yeah um because you've got the mirror of Ansel in the modern world like trying to find answers about this fantasy place and so that's that's exactly like what uh, a younger me would have wanted right is is someone being like mm-hmm. so what are you gonna do with this like you're you have these things in your head like imagination things what are you gonna do with it and I really love that mm-hmm Yeah, and it picks up from this narration we've been seeing throughout the book from, like, page one. It's got, like, the old scroll with the old English font that says, Once upon a time, in this little bubble and, like, just more handwriting font says, Really? Was it only once upon a time? How many times did this happen? Are you sure? And, like, that happens at the beginning of every chapter in this other set of word bubbles intrudes and says, But that's not... Like, think more about this. What is the story that's being told? What's the point of it? And who's telling it? And at the end, that does connect to this. We've got Ansel, this modern boy in a fantasy world. And we've got... Isla. Um, did she get a name Isla. at the end? Isla. Okay. Isla at the end, who's a, uh, a, f- a fantasy girl in a modern world. <laughs> she's got her, her Rin Fair outfit on. And, like, she's been... It seems like she is the storyteller of D- Ansel. Like, she's been getting these visions and saying, like, I have to write this down. And she's the one kind of poking holes in this fairy tale framework. Yes. Like, she's the one asking questions and thinking more critically about the story. Um, and that's kind of, I think, a theme that that Kent sprinkles throughout here is that there's always more to the story. Um, mm. One of my favorite characters also is there's a character named Ugly. Um, <sighs> Ugly. I love her so much. Um She's basically your quintessential person who got cursed to to look ugly and mm. True Love's Kiss or whatever is supposed to break the spell, except for that she's never, like, broken the spell. And so mm. she becomes kind of this unlikely ally of Ansel's, um, even saving him from, like, the Hansel and Gretel house that we saw. And when he's asking about, like, what her name was before it was ugly and stuff, she's talking about how, like, it doesn't matter because that's what she is yeah. now. And... Um, Ultimately, there's there's a lot of stuff that happens in her um, story that kind of comes to this point where it's like Ansel's definitely seeing her as as more than just whatever she thinks she is. And it helps her get to a point of, I think, being a more dynamic character as well. And so I just really enjoy the the concept of like it's not set in stone. Like fate's not a thing because there's always more and there's always um, like there, you can think critically about things and you can change things and you don't have to be what what um, society defines you as. And so I just really enjoyed that like aspect of the story. And I think that yeah. Ugly was like the real embodiment um, of yeah. that. Her story is delightful. Like she is this maybe maybe trollish looking young girl and you see that like she's she's reading all these books she figures I must have been 
cursed. I got to read all these spell books and find out, like, how do I break this? I got to solve it for myself. And, like, kids tease her. And, like, she gets in a fight with this girl. And at the end, she kisses the girl because she thinks she's landed on true love's kiss must break the spell. And it doesn't seem like maybe she overtly had a crush on that girl, but was like, I just got to start kissing people. And eventually one of them will land <laughs> and she grows up and she becomes good at fighting to defend herself. Yeah, she is like so strong. Getting, yeah. So big and powerful. She just becomes this like wayward marauder traveling around the countryside. She gets in bar fights and she like, slays dragons and finds treasure and stuff but she's still and she's like learning to be more comfortable in her skin but we still see her like just try to kiss people like does is it you we just met but maybe it's you oh no it didn't work well and like she first meets Ansel and like they exchange like maybe 10 words and then she kisses him Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's like it's a very interesting thing but yeah like you're saying we're seeing her backstory and stuff and how she kind of comes into her own but she's still defined by this one way that people perceive her and by the end she's just kind of like you know what whatever and Mm. I I really enjoy that I I definitely uh I have to ask did you think she was dead when she got shot because I did (laughs) (laughs) yeah I had no idea where it was going I didn't know how grim we were going to be I didn't know if it was something like Oh, like everything in Ansel's world needs to be destroyed in order for him to escape, for him to transfer to wherever it is he needs to be, this modern world that it seems like maybe he truly belongs in. So he thought it might have been like nothing personal, but everything has to die for this spell that he's under to be broken. Yes. And it's like the end of the story is like the beginning of another quest for Ansel is him and mm-hmm. um, him and Ugly and oh man I forgot his like childhood girlfriend's name uh, Demure yes uh, they are like setting out basically to find out what's beyond the folklore and and what like what his visions mean and um, man like okay so his childhood friend basically takes it upon herself for her quest to be to follow Ansel and make sure he doesn't die <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because she's like a year older than him. Yes. And so she did done her quest last already. Year. She, yeah. Yeah. She'd gone to try and find the folklore. So she knew what he was in for. And yeah, should we see her like sneaking away after him in disguise? And it's only at the end where she's like, it's me. I've been following you the whole time to make sure you don't die. Oh, yeah. And it's very. It's one of those fun, it's another fun inversion moment, right? Because to have Mm. it be like the lady knight doing that uh, instead of it being like a dude is different. And and Ansel, instead of like being upset about it, is just like, okay, good, you're here now, help us. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you described her as a lady knight, which is a great descriptor, but I like that she isn't a warrior like everybody in this group of kids when you get to be like 18 or whatever you go on a quest like regardless of who you are I like that it's not skill-based it's just something everybody gets to do and she's not particularly skilled in adventuring it's only that she's experienced in it because she's a year or two older than him and did it already yeah like I liked how normal all like they just all felt like kids you know they they really like his friend art like his friend archer 
Like, I think he has a bow and arrow because he's an elf and, you know, based off Tolkien, that is the classic elf accessory. <laughs> but, but, like, it's not like, oh, we call him that because he's the best archer in the land. I think that, like, they're just sort of everyday kids. None of them are these prodigies. Yeah, it's... uh it's just literally like there's so there's there's a line of dialogue the night before they're all supposed to select their quests and when they select the quest the librarians mm. have to approve them um yeah and things go sideways because archer says that he's going to find the folk lords which is ansel's quest of mm-hmm. course and the librarians are like absolutely not nobody can leave the territory none of all the quests are too dangerous and so mm. um you know they go anyway but like the night before the quest choosing there's a kid who's like this is the only chance we have to do something amazing before we become cobblers carpenters farmers and so it's just like yeah. these are just ordinary people this is like jack before the beanstalk mm-hmm. kind of thing um yeah yeah it's just like go for your your year abroad you know this is your senior trip that your you're gap planning. year <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh i love that yeah so his yeah the, so his childhood friend i was looking to see exactly what her quest was because you're right she's not particularly a warrior she found a mm. golden goose and that was her quest, yeah. and she was successful. And so she says, yeah, it's not about me anymore. And that's kind of the point, right? Like, she had her story, but everybody's had their story. Yeah. And this next year of people is, uh, they're going to have their stories. And this one just happens to be about mm-hmm. Ansel. <laughs> I do like th- this tale of a world where adventure is so commonplace like it's something like you don't have to like stumble onto i found an old treasure map in the attic like (laughs) like they're available to everybody anyone can go do it and so adventure is so commonplace that then it just like it sinks into the background like going on a quest is as normal as i gotta go to the market and buy a new barrel right it's just part of the everyday routine of life and it's expected and and it Mm. also is it's absorbed into the routine in a way that I'm I'm going to say that doesn't feel like a young adult novel because the the pretense of a lot of young adult novels especially after the Hunger Games was we live in a society where x thing is banned or x big dangerous yeah. event happens and everybody just thinks it's normal but it's not like that in this book like it is a dangerous thing to take on a quest but it's also not like a oh, well, some of the kids are just going to die kind of attitude about it the way it might be in a young adult novel. It's literally a you yeah. pick a quest that's within your means and you do it to the best of your abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like not a judgmental society at all. You're right. Like nobody's forcing you to quest. You know, there's like a little teasing between the kids, but it's not like, oh, you know, Randolph's parents are rich, so he got the finest quest. I'm not going to be able to afford a quest like that. And Ansel, who does stick out, he's such an oddball wearing his little business suit. Everybody thinks that he's odd, but he's not an outcast. He has a lot of friends his own age. The people seem to view him positively. Like He is liked in his community. He's just, He just puzzles everybody. He's Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Like The villagers are going to sing a song yeah. about how weird he is, but then they're still going to be nice to him. Yeah. I think the only... I, that was a good dynamic. Yeah. I think the only person who actually 
could be classified as an outcast in this little village is Archer. And it's because we don't see yeah. any other elves throughout the entire story. And we yeah. find out that he was, I think, ab- abandoned and adopted. Mm. Um, and so, like, you know, he's an orphan and he's an elf and he's kind of broody and doesn't make it the easiest to get along with him um, and stuff. So he's still seen, like, with the other kids and stuff. But he does talk a little bit about, like, the feelings of being displaced. Um, and Ansel is able to relate, but it's also one of those, like, Yes, you can relate, but you don't truly understand because you are still human and you do still belong here. And and people mm. look like you and people understand you and and that kind of thing. So, um but yeah, overall, it's a it's a fairly unjudgmental um society beauty-based judgment aside for ugly story, right? Mm. Yeah. Um I I really liked the quest system. I thought it was very fun. Um, I yeah, I, th- I like that it is something that like you. It's not something you stumble upon, and it's not like like a Hunger Games thing where it's like we've chosen kids to go on this dangerous mission because we just need somebody to do a dangerous mission. We don't care if you live or die at the end of it, as long as something gets done. It is like, well, you're an Eagle Scout, so it's time for you to decide: Are you gonna build a birdhouse? Uh, are you going to start a recycling program? What's your project? <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. Just like 4-H. What are you bringing to the fair? You're going to show a cow? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I also really enjoyed, and by enjoy, enjoyed is maybe not the right word. I was intrigued by the section with the gnomes um, mm-hmm. because you kind of go through this, like, it's like genre swapping Kind of like there's yeah. three men in top hats, like maybe Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Jack the Ripper kind of style. And then you go this old dude in a house and it's very gothic horror and Edgar Allan Poe. And then uh, and then it's a bunch of gnomes in the trenches. Like this is uh, <laughs> an al- <laughs> and the end of that section is allegories. I really hate them. But like that is so much of <laughs> fantasy, right? And especially with all the references to Tolkien here, Tolkien's writings in particular are very allegorical about his experiences in the war yeah. and the way that that just regular people are in the world and in the war. And so this is very clearly a reference to that. It's like these gnomes that are kind of like they're like magically enslaved um, and they're mm. fighting in like trench warfare and there are like sandbags and tanks and um it's just this is like as they get closer to the folklore, this is what they're seeing. It's like this endless war and um also that's when they refind Archer. He's with the gnomes. Yeah. Um but yeah, it it was a very jarring, I think, visual change to see that, but also a nice fun meta commentary on the way that fantasy helps us like interpret real historical events. Yeah, that is a very fun sequence where they go to uh, this big library, you know, like capital L library, like where the librarians, the like law keepers of their world, they have their headquarters and they go through and like there's like a little, uh, you know, there's somebody at a desk who's like giving him this tour and it's like you will go through all these rooms and there's one door in and one door out. Like a book has a front cover and a back cover and it's all very cute and clever and you're going to walk through all of these stories and it is like it's a theme park attraction or something like you're you're like you're walking through a dark ride and instead of it being animatronics it's like yeah we did um 
you know, blind and imprison all these gnomes to to dress up in costumes. It, yeah, it's unsettling. It's yeah, very unsettling. It's such a neat their method of being unsettling like you're being forced to walk through just like an exhibit yeah and the gnomes the way their eyes are illustrated too is they're like yellow and kind of glowy um yeah i forgot before they get to the like jack the ripper jekyll and hyde style gnomes that there's like a gnome dressed like little miss muffet or something like it's alice in wonderland (laughs) Um, yeah but yeah they they go through all these kind of different stories and then they land in the in the trenches and um, and we get to see like outside of that that the librarians are all um, very culty at this point. Like if, if you weren't getting bad vibes from them already, you would be getting bad vibes from them now by seeing the sea of red robes illustrated in them all going shh shh. I'm just like oh wow that's so wild. Yeah yeah. I like that they say shh as like their all word. It means everything to them based on context. Like that's the only word they have to communicate with each other. Yeah. And it's just, it's like the silence is, is speaking more volumes than anything they could say. And it's very, um, yeah, it's very intense to see, I guess, especially juxtaposed against the like warfare scenes that are illustrated out. Um, and also, like, having just been reunited with Archer, it's like they're kind of having this come-to-Jesus moment of, like, you stole my quest. Like, you don't get to be mad at yeah. me about where you ended up because you did this. Mm. And uh, mm. and then it's then they're faced with the folklore. So mm-hmm. it just comes full circle very quickly. And, um, oh, man. Oh, I... I I forgot we haven't even talked about Sal. So there's like one librarian knight guy who initially yeah. when they're leaving the village basically gives them like a warning and a word of advice but doesn't try to stop them. And this is after the librarians have been like, no, this is too mm. dangerous. Nobody gets to go on a quest now. Nobody gets to go to try to find the folklore. And um, yeah, do you want to say that the librarians assign everybody a quest and it's like, find a misbehaving gnome and report him. It's very George Orwell, like Big Brother is watching you. So now we're going to give you these quests where you're just going to be accomplices to the state violence that yeah. we're enacting. So, And they're not even exciting. They, 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 It's nothing that will actually let you get outside of the town square. No. You don't even get to travel. Oh, no, absolutely not. Oh, man. But yeah, so like the mysterious knight guy, he's got like kind of a different design than any of the librarians we'd seen until that point because he's in armor, still only has one eye exposed. Um, But again, he doesn't try to stop them. And he shows up periodically throughout the quest. And and at the end, like when they're fighting the folklore, um, he shows up again and essentially stays behind to become the leader of the librarians. And they're all kind of like, Sal seemed kind of upset and... And uh, someone, I don't remember who, said, says something to the, fe- the effect of, yeah, well, he just volunteered to become the leader of a bloodthirsty, deranged cult. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's definitely like a means to an end thing where Sal's just like, someone's going to have to rein this in. So I guess it's going to be me. Mm. Yeah, Sal's fascinating. I wish we would have learned a little bit more about Sal. Because, like, they've got the librarians of these, like, bandages or something over their face to where they only have one eye showing. It's very eerie. And when you get something like that, you are expecting, like, somebody's going to take those off, right? We get to see, like, if they even have their eye under there. 
No, they they stay all bandaged up the whole time. No, the only reveal we get is when, um, you know, when the childhood friend reveals that she was secretly dressed as one of the librarians. Yeah. But like that's the only face reveal. So you never do really figure out what the deal is with the librarians. You just kind of have to go with it. Mm. It isn't Sal's full name, like Sal Paradise. It's something very silly. Um, it's an odd name, and I was trying to figure out if that was also a reference to something. I don't remember. If it was, then it didn't have enough of an impact on me for me to remember, yeah. clearly. But I'll see if I can flip to that page here mm. somewhere, too, because I might be able to tell you if it's a specific reference. It really got into it, the Tolkien-y references at the end, but the the it did. fairy tale ones were definitely, like, the first part. Mm. When we do uh, see John Ronald for the first time, all of these text boxes that are, like, the Once Upon a Time, and then who we find out later is Isla interjecting in the Once Upon a Time... We get something from him and it switches to it, like we like go inside his world where he is and it's styled completely differently. Like the fantasy medieval styling is gone. And now he's writing in typewriter font and like his light is all blue and it immediately hits you as being very noir. And so Sal Paradise to me sounded like some noir gumshoe name. I mean, that's, it is a great gumshoe name. Oh, my gosh. That's a fantastic mm. gumshoe name. Um, yeah, and like they're walking through the exhibit of gnomes, and we see the gnomes, you know, portraying these different stories in different genres. I was kind of hoping that the story would take a meta turn, and like we get the narrative itself placed into different genre conventions. Yes, and they and that's something that this. Um, I I just have to commend you know the the art style and the writing. Mm-hmm. Also, you were mentioning different like font styles. I'm a huge typography nerd, so that was like a really yeah. enjoyable thing for me is that it it solidifies like the voices that are being used when you're changing up the fonts like that. Um, and it also it aids in the genre shift that's happening visually, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is Cell Par- Paradise, by the way. I found it, and I have no idea what that's a reference to. Yeah, I would love that if that was like a gumshoe for sure. Uh, it's just a good name. Just a very good character name. Um, kind of tongue in cheek, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I, oh, I forgot they go through like, so Sal leads them through like kind of the basement dungeon labyrinth of the library, right? To, to get to the actual library so that they can get to the folklore. And, um, one of the things they see is this blinded troll in the dungeon. And, uh, Sal talks about like the experiments that the librarians are doing, that was really off-putting to me because one of the like the very first interaction we see Ansel have is with like the troll who runs the ferry in the village who's just yeah. like his buddy. And so then like to yeah. have it be like this imprisoned and and maimed troll that the librarians have done something to, I at first it was hard to distinguish that it wasn't the same troll, like that it wasn't mm. his friend being punished, right, because he had left. Mhm. Or like maybe the, the, that troll ferryman is also blind. You wonder if maybe he escaped. You have no idea, right? And so it's yeah. just really unsettling. And I think it further serves to uh, to just showcase how messed up the librarians are um, and the links that they're willing to go to. And so, and there's not, like the other thing about that is that there's not really an explanation given for why they're doing that kind of experiment. No. Like it's just horrific. They're just doing it to try it. Mm-hmm. 
which I mean, that's kind of the writing process sometimes, right? Like sometimes you just have to write something and be like, is this working? No, uh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're just trying to build whatever uh, tools they need to build to construct the right narrative. Right. And like the, the, the the comfort you get at the end, you don't have any answers, but you have confidence in Ansel that he is determined to find answers. You've got a hero you can really place your trust in, which does enough to offset all these pockets of darkness that we find that the, a lot of the characters overall had such a, a positive feeling to them. Like we talked about how the town thinks Ansel is kind of an oddball, but they don't ostracize him. He's still part of the community. Uh, we get that story about Ugly, who was ostracized, but she learned to become more comfortable in her skin. She's like, it doesn't matter if my name is Ugly anymore. Like, I know who I am and how I feel about myself. I can live like that. It's okay. Right. <laughs> like, it's a little melancholy, but she feels all right. She feels a lot more, she feels better about herself than I imagine a lot of other characters in that boat would feel about themselves. I think so, too. And I think that her narrative and, and the narrative... Uh, overall in the story is just that like things aren't necessarily going to turn out the way you want them to or expect them to but that doesn't mean you don't keep going and it doesn't mean that you don't keep trying and so for me that was a really positive ending um, you know versus uh, everything works out and ties up neatly with a little bow like it's a more Mm. realistic type of ending like in real life things don't always work out the way we want we don't always get to look the way we want and do the things we want but that doesn't mean Mm. that we don't find ways to thrive and survive yeah, I also really like how the narrative treats Archer. Archer is like telling the story to Ansel about like, well, you think you're kind of weird. Like, look at me. I'm the only elf in town. And he tells Ansel the story about how he was. A, and I think Ansel is like, I have always been curious about that, but I thought it was rude, rude to, to ask. ask. Yeah. And Archer's like, no, I'll, I'll tell you. Like, I, my parents were this old couple. They couldn't have children. Like, like, they were very, very poor, and that's why they never had children. They're like, we couldn't feed them. Let's just never attempt it. It'll just be the two of us until we can ever work our way out of poverty. And they find this little baby elf in the woods, and they're like, this must be a sign. Let's take him in. And they still, like, can't escape from their their living conditions, and they start to view him like he's a curse. And, like, the, the mom is, like, dying like she's ill and she like blames it on him like he brought this into our lives and the the mom dies and then you see the the father like hang himself like try like i'm going to escape life while i can on my own terms that was the darkest part of the whole story i think it is yeah and like that's what you see in these panels but what archer is telling ansel is just yeah i was adopted by this couple uh they they were older they didn't live very long into my childhood. I'm sort of an orphan. Like he's telling him this very simplified, pared down, cleaned up version of the story. Like only us, the audience knows how rough of a life Archer has actually had. Yeah. Archer was an interesting character in that regard. And we don't actually comparatively spend a ton of time with him. Um, After they Mm. part ways, especially you don't spend a lot of time with him and he's not one of the people who's going with them in the end. Um, But yeah, his his history is very dark and, um, you know, society's expectations being projected onto him as like being this curse and and outcast and bad luck and unwanted and things like that. Um, 
he's kind of the foil for ugly I think because to him it Mm. shapes him in this bad way like he doesn't have an idea for his own quest so he steals Ansel's um you know and and he abandons Ansel in the Hansel and Gretel hut and so it's it's just like this really interesting foil to Ugly's story where she also had some super negative societal expectations and experiences pushed upon her and while it's not that she stopped trying to escape them it's that she found a way to to live as her own person anyway mm-hmm. yeah i the, the, we never do spend a lot of time with Ansel with uh with Archer. We don't find out his motivations. Like the I think the Gretel character says that he ran away. Like he like led Ansel to the candy hut and then she let him escape and he ran off. And that's kind of what Ansel believes happens. But then when we meet up with Archer again, he's like, oh no, like he kind of has a cover story. And you're wondering like how much of this is true? Like you are more cowardly than Ansel is but it doesn't seem like you overtly did sell your friend out we never get his exact side on things and at the end of the story he like sulks away he sneaks off from the rest of the group as uh Ansel and Ugly and Demir are leaving on this quest and Ansel says I think he's just going through his own stuff which is a very kind thing for him to say very understanding I like that in other hands in other writers and in another protagonist they may have written, the uh, Archer would have been the villain of the thing. Like, not the super villain, but, like, that's the betrayer. That's the bad guy. That's, you know, the, the dark part of every story. And instead it's like, no, that's a guy that just has a lot of problems to work through. Yeah, Ansel's very forgiving um, and doesn't vilify Archer even when he's like, yeah. well, maybe this story doesn't add up and and maybe he did just le- like abandon me kind of thing. But ultimately, mm. the circumstances are Archer's trying to figure himself out and he self-ostracizes, right? And if that's what, yeah. what needs to happen, then Ansel's like, you know what? That's what needs to happen. And um, but nobody like casts judgment on him or makes it harsh or makes it like you can't go with us. But also the flip side of that is nobody's like, hey, I really think you should come with us instead of being alone. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely a um, like the, the story definitely puts emphasis on like needing help and not being able to do stuff alone. But then you also have Archer out there who's actively choosing to go by himself at all times and so um it's kind of sad it's kind of bittersweet and and very in contrast to Ansel who's just like yeah I'm never gonna say no to help and and uh please come with me and yeah let's do this I Ansel's a wonderful protagonist beyond just I love the concept of this boy in a fantasy village who's like I had a dream about something called a necktie I'd like to wear that. He's he's got his suit on. It's like he's wearing a uniform for a private school that doesn't exist. They're like, no, we just wear our burlap sack to the market. Well, and he's like, and like made he's got these all of that himself too. Yeah. It's all self-constructed. He got a vision of like a lighter, whereas everybody else has a torch. He's like, no, I made a lighter. He builds all these things, which is a great concept. But personality-wise, I like how it's he's not a uh, he doesn't set out to be a a goody goody he's not like steve rogers like i don't like bullies i'll do whatever it takes to protect everyone 
he that's not the point of him. That's not what he sets out to do. He wants to go find the folklords, which is a not overtly benevolent thing to do. It's just neutral. It's just, I want to go learn this thing. But along the way, we see all of these instances of kindness. He's very, very kind, and it's part of his personality, but that's not the point of him. Right, like his driving motivator is curiosity and like wanting to uncover knowledge, but he also goes along the way and like displays empathy and is just a very... Um, compassionate person and so it makes her a really filled out character that doesn't necessarily fit into the stereotypes that we have for a lot of protagonists I think especially ones written at the Mm. age that Ansel is which were assumed to be as like 16 to 18 right so yeah I I definitely that's a really good point because I definitely love that about him (laughs) (laughs) right like there was something that uh warmed me up to him immediately like he brings these like the goat curry pies to his friend the 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 fairy man he's you know polite and curious to his friends the first time they meet ugly you know the archer takes her to be a foe you know or some marauder so he's going to like you know, attack them or steal from them and i think he throws a rock at her or something yeah. and then ansel's like hold on ma'am i'm sorry can we help you with something he's very sympathetic to other people he always gives them the benefit of the doubt and i like that those are traits that we get to have in a character whose journey is not to be heroic like the heroism and the everyday kindness are separated here yes in a way that i appreciated and i think to some degree that ties back to the fact that you know he's having visions that are unexplainable that other people don't understand so it's not like he takes things at face value he's always willing Mm. to dig a little deeper and give things the benefit of the doubt because you know the first time you have a dream about a watch you're like what the hell is this (laughs) thing right but then eventually you have enough dreams about it that you can construct one like yeah Mm. not most people most people wouldn't necessarily persevere that long right they would look past the initial wow that was weird that was a dream so it's just a good quality to have (laughs) I like that he was able to follow that dream and that is you know like I think we hear his mom talking to him maybe like from the other room like Ansel you know you're going to be late for the quest choosing (laughs) be sure to eat your breakfast and he we don't see them too much but it seems like his parents are very supportive This section reminded me of, like, the very beginning of the first Harry Potter book. Like, before, like, he gets the letter to Hogwarts where he's just telling Uncle Vernon, like, I had a dream about a flying motorcycle. And Uncle Vernon freaks out, like, no motorcycle has ever flown. Don't even dream about it. Go to your closet. I won't hear it. (laughs) like it's not that no like they're like oh oh that's weird okay oh you think you can build it seems like that works for you okay honey go ahead and give it a try like right as long as you have a hobby exactly yeah his little bag of stuff i also the implications of like the things that he's dreamed about like at the end he knows what a gun is when none of the other characters Mm -hmm. do and he because he's like ugly that thing can kill you and yeah and so I just love that we aren't seeing like all of his dreams, but the extent of them is vast, clearly. Mm. Yeah, I think he mentions like dreaming of skyscrapers. I think that's maybe uh, beyond his scope to be able to build. Yeah, I mean, you might have to develop like the specific building materials (laughs) needed for that before you could do a skyscraper, but (laughs) you can make a wash. Sure. Yeah, and then we... 
we see Isla's world just briefly for like a a page or two at the end, and she's it's the direct opposite of how we met Ansel in his like rough carved wooden room with his like you know mattress stuffed with straw, but he's wearing his little suit, and then we see Isla in this nice contemporary apartment where she is wearing like this is my LARP gear. Yes, <laughs> it's a full cloak and a wooden staff, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, we see her, like, rush out, and she's going to the library, and we see that she's, like, drawn a map where she thinks she can, like, find the source of all these visions she's getting about Ansel. I got the impression that, like, she was, she got the visions, and she was writing them down as a a fictional story, but also had a suspicion that maybe this isn't fiction. Maybe I am seeing something that really exists out there. Maybe this is a real boy. And she's going to like the New York Public Library. Maybe she's going to find a portal or something to get over there to him. And we see her walk down the street. And those citizens are, they, they do look a bit more judgmental of her than all of Ansel's townspeople felt about him. Maybe that's just the difference between a little village and a big city. Right. And it is like a panel per, for for panel mirror of the opening scene with Ansel. Mm. It's I I really enjoyed it. I think that it touches in like a fun literary space. Like I don't know how familiar you are with the never ending story, but that one being like it's a book yeah. that you literally then influence and influences you and um and this felt similar to me at the end. Oh, that's a good pull. I was thinking about the page master. Ooh. I didn't even get to the never ending story. <laughs> I um I actually so I've never seen the Never Ending Story as a movie, but I have a friend who really loves it and gave me the book earlier this year. So I read the book earlier this year, and I was like, oh, this is just enchanting. <laughs> oh God, I've never read the book. I love the movie though. You should watch it. Well, if you want to borrow the book, let me know. <laughs> okay, we can try. I have the movie. We can try. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I I. I really appreciated this ending. I think even more knowing that is where it ends and it's just up for you to imagine. Is there some sort of a link between these worlds? Is there some, you know, like Ansel walks into a cave and like Isla walks like deep into like the basement shelves where they just store old books that aren't in circulation. Do they hit some patch of mist and walk into each other? Right. And it's really up to you to interpret. Like, is Ansel just a story that, that Ela's telling? Or is yeah. she part of this too? And yeah, it it just leaves a lot to interpretation. And I love it. Mm-hmm. This was a, a very strong outing. I was happy to read this. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's definitely one that um, I spent a lot of time discussing with Aaron, my husband, after we read it. Um, And that's like the best type of recommendation I can give media is that you had me talking about it for a while, you know? Yeah. There's a lot to ponder on. I mentioned earlier how I thought this would be good for like, you know, like kind of a, a, a... later like a middle grade reader getting into slightly darker stories this would be great for like oh like a sixth or seventh grade like English class like there's a lot for you to question about this book I could see this being great in like a a youth book club absolutely especially if you had done um like a unit on fairy tales and and classic fantasy or like maybe if you did like a hobbit unit or something um and then talked about this Mm -hmm. it would fit really nicely yeah. All right. So what I think our, our conversation's kind of wrapping up here. Did you have any other final points you wanted to touch on? 
No, I just uh, just always recommend uh, checking out graphic novels um, in general. I love to yeah. find stuff that um, I'm not necessarily that aren't necessarily associated with like big franchises and and big publishers. So mm. this is um, one that I was really glad to find, and I found it at a local bookshop. And please shop local bookstores because uh, it's amazing. Also, use the library. <laughs> I use the, I'm like at the library every day. So I'll probably go to the library after we get See, off this I, call. <laughs> I got to get back into the library. I put it out of my head so much over the last year when it was closed. And like, I'd have to think so far ahead of time to like order the thing online for it to be, for me to go pick it up. I, I should go browse now that I can browse a library. Yes. I just have a crazy long, like, uh, to be read list. And so I, always put stuff in online because I'm trying to hack away at that list and so over the mm. over the course of the pandemic I was basically just like well they're doing curbside pickup so I guess I'm just gonna put like seven things on hold and go pick it up and repeat next week like so smart yeah <laughs> something we have been doing at the end of every discussion on the review show this year uh since a couple months ago we made bingo cards we made a huge list of all of these like narrative tropes and like genre conventions. Ooh. And we put them into bingo cards, Kyle and I. Like we each picked the ones we liked. So we each have a random assortment. There's some overlap. We each have some things that are unique. And we're seeing who can cross off bingo first. Oh. Kyle did cross off a bingo, but we're going to get to the end of the year to see who has gotten the most of bingo. Can anyone get, <laughs> get black? How many? <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I forgot to ask him if I can keep playing while he's gone because uh, I I do have no time to eat breakfast on here. That's a good one. <laughs> and, you know, I, I wrote that down picturing like the anime character running out of their with apartment toast with in a their single mouth. triangle of toast in their <laughs> mouth. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> or, like, or like a mom has made an entire breakfast for her family, but her husband's like, honey, I've got a meeting. Just hot coffee to go, please. Like the 90s, kind of get some of that in here. Yes, oh, I'll keep that in my back pocket. I'll ask Kyle when he returns, but Mango might be on hold for the next couple of weeks. But that takes us to our next segment recommendations. Audrey, if people liked folklords, what else do you think they might like to check out? Um, so obviously I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug some Tolkien here cause that's like your mm -hmm. quintessential fantasy and a lot of, uh, contemporary fantasy derives inspiration from it. So Lord of the Rings, uh, the Hobbit, anything else like that, um, always a good thing to check out. Never ending story, of course, for the, um, book intersecting with reality, I also am a huge fan of the Thursday Next series, which is by Jasper Ford, and he's uh, Thursday Next is a literary detective, so she investigates crimes that take place in books. Um, like uh, the first one, I believe, is about like an art thief stealing works from famous books, like The Picture of Dorian Gray from The Picture of Dorian Gray. So it's just got a fun like meta intersection with reality. And if you're a fan of classic literature. Um, that would be that would be a good one. And then he also has a series called Nursery Crimes. The first one's The Big Over Easy. Okay. That's like a noir fairy tales <laughs> type thing. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that. I feel like I picked up Tuesday Next from like a Books A Million discount sale years ago. And I have no idea if I still have it or not. 
I've got the majority of the series at this point just picked up secondhand over the years, but it was one that I had um, picked up at the library in Jeff City. So I grew up in a fairly small town, um, like nearest library, more than half an hour away. And so I just kind of had to read whatever was there. And that's one that I picked up just kind of randomly from the library one day and ended up reading like two or three books of the series and really enjoyed it. but yeah, I, I think that that's a good intersection. It's if you're looking for more of the fairy tale stuff, there's a ton of fairy tales and fairy tale retellings that you can check out. But um, this one having the like meta intersection, that's kind of what I tried to tailor my recommendations to. Nice. Yes, uh, I would recommend something we covered on the review show uh, earlier this year, back in episode 155. It's another comic series called The Unwritten. This is from Mike Gary and Peter Gross. And this is a story about a, a Harry Potter type book series about Tommy Taylor, boy wizard. That's a huge phenomena in the contemporary world, even bigger than Harry Potter is. And the author supposedly based this protagonist off his own son, who's also named Tom. So now that he's an adult, the, the real Tom Taylor's kind of a minor celebrity for being the boy who inspired this famous literary character we all love and he's sort of like he kind of wishes he could get out of it he kind of likes to ride those coattails he's not sure what he wants to do with his life beyond that behind beyond just going to all these conventions and doing interviews and stuff and it he starts to realize that maybe this fictional world that his dad wrote maybe wasn't so fictional after all and that maybe some of it was real and was pulled from real magic. That's <laughs> and cool. he sort of gets entwined into this like secret literary underground of other fictional things that could be real. I am made a note of that one because I'm going to check that out because I've never heard of that and it sounds awesome. It was really interesting. It goes, it's got so many different literary references. It goes real deep into that history. Talks about how there's supposedly like this literary secret underground organization who's like, we support the authors who forward whatever our message is. So like they are like, okay, Rudyard Kipling, I think is one of their guys. Like we see this flashback and he mentions offhand, like I don't really care for Oscar Wilde. And then like Oscar Wilde gets thrown in prison and he's like, did they hear me say that? <laughs> I don't want them to put Oscar Wilde in prison. How do I get out of this? I don't want to write for these guys anymore. That's hilarious. It goes it goes all over the place. And the art is really great. Like it changes so much depending on like what, whether they're inside the world of Tommy Taylor, Boy Wizard, whether they're in Tom Taylor's world, whether it's dealing with another narrative. We only read the first two volumes, but I've thought about going back and picking up the rest of it. It was a really interesting story. That's awesome. That's really exciting. It's also it, reminded me of um, there's a young adult book series where the first book is called Malice and the idea is similar um, where there's like rumors about these comics and like the creature that inhabits them. And so it's like half comics, half written word uh, in Ooh. books. And I think there's only two of them, but it, it's very firmly in the horror camp. So if you're going to okay. read it, be aware. Um, but I it, that it's one that was very fun in like crossing meta lines and doing so visually and not just um, verbally. Nice. And one final thing, I can't let any discussion of fairy tales go by without mentioning my favorite 
twisted no, and not twisted but like my favorite we put all these fairy tale elements together shook them around here's our take on classic fairy tales my go-to every time is the 10th kingdom which is a i feel like we've talked about this before Have we? It's, it was a tv miniseries from the year 2000 that aired over like a week or two on cbs or something oh my gosh yes okay and i remember now <laughs> Right. And it's about this world where all the fairy tales are real, you know, and there's like nine kingdoms like that's Cinderella's kingdom and Sleeping Beauty's kingdom and Snow White's kingdom. And they use these magic mirrors to uh, travel around from kingdom to kingdom. And one magic mirror opens up into New York City where this jaded 20 something year old waitress who said like bad luck with guys. It's her and her single dad or mom left them. They come through one of these mirrors and they're lost in this fantasy world and they need to figure out how to get back home. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely recommend that. Uh, It's one of my favorite stories. That was one of the first things I watched in quarantine last year. It's like, well, I'm stuck at home 100% of the time. I'm putting the 10th kingdom back on. I've got the time now and I need that comfort food. Absolutely. And it's so obscure. I had to watch it on like Pluto TV or like some weird app. Like I had it all on DVD, but I was like, I don't want to hook the DVD player up. Where where can I find it streaming? (laughs) It's always the curse now. It's like, I own this on DVD, but do I want to put the disc in? Mm hmm. Okay. So for our next episode, normally this is the part of the episode where Kyle and I would take turns pitching each other three things and one of us picks one for the next episode kyle will still be out so old friend of the show jack's gonna come around you remember jack from uh last year we talked about parasite and season three of mr robot we talked about all the seasons of mr robot but jack joined us for that conversation in particular and jack gave me uh three mystery box tv shows the oa homecoming and maniac and maniac is the one i ended up picking maniac's <laughs> really good a... i'm sorry i'm making i'm mean mugging at melissa while she talks so it's it's distracting <laughs> <laughs> yeah maniac it is a 2008 limited series on netflix this stars jonah hill and emma stone and it is um about the two of them going to a uh, a clinical drug trial experience where they're going to stay at this company over a weekend get these drug trials uh and just be monitored to see how they react and it gets weird from there with like all of their hallucinations and things they see when they're on these drugs i'm just a couple episodes into it right now uh it is a whole time it's i'm very excited to talk about this next week yeah there's a lot to unpack with that one (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. We have got some fun stuff uh, here for these guest uh, guest host episodes. Yeah, so Audrey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. <laughs> if people would like to find you online, where would you like to be found? Um, so I am at Lady Tabletop on Twitter, which is the best place to find me. Um, I still have a Tumblr, but like 
who cares um i do a podcast called <laughs> mordor she wrote that's at mordor underscore yes. she wrote which is um my friend kayla who has never read any tolkien except the hobbit um we're reading the trilogy a chapter at a time and i am working on her we're gonna do the silmarillion we're gonna do it i'm manifesting it oh. um but we're reading through it a chapter at a time we're about halfway through fellowship right now if you want to catch that and then um, I mentioned that I write tabletop RPGs, so you can find me at Starworms. That's worms with a Y, like dragon worm. Um, Starworms on Twitter. It's called the game is called Spaceships and Starworms, and it's basically a sci-fi adaptation of D and D five E with a lot of fun creatures and aliens and stuff. So um, those are the three best places to find me. Yeah, Spaceships and Star Worms, you let me in on a couple like playtesting games for that, even though I don't have a ton of D&D experience. It was a blast, though. But it was it was so much fun. And like all of the flavor that you wrote into that game, all of the different new classes and just races and backgrounds and like cool sci-fi objects I could carry around. It was delightful. If, you, if you're a big sci-fi fan, if you like the framework of D&D and want to try a different genre... Much like this story we covered today, plays with genre. <laughs> Check out Spaceships and Star Worms. Thank you for that endorsement. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at WilkyWit. That's W I L K Y W I T. And listen to my other podcast, Saturday Morning Obscurities, show where me and my brother Jams talk about weird old kids' shows you feel like only you remember. Thanks again for joining us. This has been the Whatnots Review Show, episode 60, 166. So many of them. Uh, thanks again for joining us. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>